This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. It's the Hockey News Podcast here. It's Matt Larkin with Ryan Kennedy, and this is part two of our playoff preview for round one of the official playoffs. We're doing the Western Conference now. And Ryan, let's just jump right into it. Uh, let's do the Robin Lehner Bowl first, okay? Yeah. So it's Vegas versus Chicago, uh, a series featuring one team that I know was our staff consensus pick to go all the way. It was our pick at the start of the season, and it was our pick at the start of the playoffs. Vegas going to the cup final uh, and Chicago a team that, you know, what do they have the 22nd best record in the NHL and they shocked the Oilers. Here they are. Um, so let's start talking about the offense. Uh, we're going to break down category by category. So tell me who you think has the offensive edge in this series. Well, I'll give a slight edge to Vegas because they have so many weapons and it looks like Max Pacioretty is going to be ready for game one. So, I'm going to give a slight edge, but I mean, again, you got to tip your hat to Chicago because they really came together against the Oilers and, you know, Dominic Kabalik had a huge series for them uh, playing with Jonathan Taves. And, you know, you look at Kirby Doc playing with Patrick Kane, you have Alex Dabrinkit. Um, you know, you have a lot of fun weapons on that Chicago team, you know, Brandon Sod had great contributions. So I'll give a slight edge to Vegas because, you know, they've got Mark Stone, they've got Pacioretty, you know, they have so many guys uh, that have been together, you know, it's only been a couple of years in Vegas, but they've all been together. And I, I feel like that depth, you really can't take many shifts off against Vegas. And uh, for that, I'll give the Golden Knights a slight edge. Yeah, I, I'm with you. And, uh, you know, Chicago, they did impress in that first round and Kirby Dak really showed something as well. And Jonathan Taves turned him back the clock, but um, another stat that I think is important, uh, Chicago had the top shooting percentage, five on five of the round. So you can make a case that Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen also made the Oilers look good. Uh, Edmonton's goaltending was a big problem, of course, in that series. So if they were against, you know, someone playing Vezina caliber, if they were against, you know, Unis Corpusalo, I don't know if they would have scored as many goals. Uh, and now they're going to run into a team that has goaltending as a massive strength rather than a weakness in terms of depth and quality. Uh, so I think, we're not going to see Chicago looking like a bunch of sharpshooters to the same effect, I don't think. Uh, whereas Vegas, they just really tilt the ice. Like you said, with or without Patretti, it really helps if Patretti's back. But all season long, they just were a dominant possession team, and they continued that trend in the first round. Uh, and they just have this really unique combination of, you know, they're, they're a potent offensive team, but they're also just a defensively responsible team. Uh, who They just have so many good two-way minds on that team. So I, I give the edge to Vegas as well offensively. Um, defense, eek. This, this one ain't close. Um, the Blackhawks are, they were terrible defensively all season long. They allowed the most shots, ex highest expected goals per 60 during the regular season. They allowed the most high danger shots per 60 against Edmonton. They still survived the series, but you know, they got scored on a ton as well. Uh, and now they're playing the team that tilts the play like no other team in the league in terms of generating chances. So I think that's a matchup from hell for Chicago. Uh, and Shafe the Universe is such an X-factor defensively for Vegas. Uh, I think he's really underrated. He was on my Norris Trophy ballot this year. Everyone knows what he can do or offensively, of course, as a rusher. But I think defensively, he's coming to his own. He's being trusted in more situations, trusted to, pay, to play bigger minutes now. And kind of maturing into, I think, a real number one defenseman. And I don't know if Chicago has that anymore. Of course, Duncan Keith is going to be a Hall of Famer. He was that for so much of his career. But it's almost like Theodore is becoming what 
Keith was, or maybe that's what Theodore's ceiling is going to be. I'm not sure yet. Uh, but I just think no matter how you slice it, Vegas, very strong defensive team and Chicago really bad. I'm talking terrible defensive team. Yeah, obviously I'll give Vegas the advantage here. The only thing I will say is that, you know, you mentioned Jonathan Taves turning back the clock against Edmonton. I thought Duncan Keith did the same. Um, and, and that to me would be a bit of an X factor is if Keith finds that, that old magic, uh, you know, consistently, but again, with, with the Golden Knights, it's just waves of talent and they have it on defense as well. And I think you make a great point about Shea Theodore. You know, this is a guy that I think, you know, he's having his coming out party this season and he's going to be thought of uh, more of that, that Norris trophy candidate in the coming years. So he's stepping it up. And again, you look at teams that play as units, you know, the Knights they play the right way. They come back, the forwards come back and help. And I think that structure really helps them overall. And as you mentioned, they're a great puck possession team as well. So not only do you have a lot of great defensemen back there, but you also have guys like Mark Stone, um, you know, guys like Riley Smith and William Carlson that know what they're doing out there in terms of how to help. And, you know, Chicago's got Jonathan Taves, uh, obviously you know, one of the best two-way players of his generation. Um, but, yeah, you got to go with the Golden Knights on, on this one. And what do you think about goaltending? Because, you know, I would argue, even though Corey Crawford, you know, he turned back the clock as well this season. I think he was one of the most underrated players in the entire league this year. Uh, but Vegas has got such good options. You know, Robin Lehner, 5-0 and now. If you count the round robin and, and the trade, he's 5-0 and in a Golden Knights uniform. Uh, and Marc-Andre Fleury's had some great runs in his career, of course, and, you know, carried Vegas. I don't want to say carried Vegas, but he was a – I think the Conn Smythe Trophy frontrunner by the time Vegas got to the final in 2018. So there's a, an embarrassment of riches there between the pipes. Um, I don't know who Vegas is going to choose. And this is kind of a murky situation as well. At the time of recording this podcast, it's not decided yet who's going to start. I think Laner's got the momentum. So I'm operating under the assumption it's going to be Laner. Um, but either way, I, I still give an edge to Vegas in net, regardless of which guy they go with. Uh, do you think that they have the edge as well? I'll give a slight edge to Vegas, but I will say that the way Corey Crawford played against Edmonton gave me a, a lot more confidence in him because he has battled injury problems. And, you know, Chicago needs him to stand tall, as we mentioned, because, you know, defensively as a team, they're not very good. Um, but yeah, whether it's Laner or Flurry, you've got guys that can steal games for you and be really solid. I think you know, there's a pretty nice level of consistency with Laner in particular. And obviously with Flurry, I mean, he's been on so many long playoff runs already in his career. He's got cup rings. Um, you know, all that experience gives me a lot of confidence uh, whichever way Vegas goes. So a slight edge, but I, I think Crawford can be an X factor. Okay. Uh, moving to intangibles, do you see any sneaky storyline that could influence this series? You know what? This is a very strange series. Like Vegas-Chicago, it's, it's not a matchup you really think about ever. Um, if anything, I, I guess one intangible would be, again, the Blackhawks turning back the clock, um, the old guys letting the young guys know, you know, this is how we do it in Chicago. You know, we are a playoff team. Um, but then, of course, you have Vegas – and um, I would say their intangible is, you know, they're on a revenge tour for the loss last year to San Jose. You know, the, the five-minute major that, that turned the season around led to a rule change. It was botched 
so badly. Um, so I would say Vegas has a ton of motivation to get back to that cup final and, and prove that they got jobbed last year. I'm going to give a slight intangible edge to Chicago and it's the same edge that the Blackhawks had over the Oilers. It's just, there's no pressure. They're just kind of happy to be here. They've got this weird mix of young guys that are just, you know, they don't have any heartbreaks in their past that are kind of weighing on their conscience. And you have some older players that have won championships before they're comfortable in deep waters. Uh, and, and if Patrick Kane really catches fire, then he's the best offensive player on either team in the series as well. So I think mentally, Chicago is one of the teams more than, you know, you could say Montreal as well, maybe Arizona too, but there's these literally the bottom seeds of the tournament. They just get in and they just got nothing to lose right now. So I think there's a mental edge for Chicago for sure. Um, but when it comes to making the series pick, I think maybe Chicago steals a game, but I just think, you know, good on them for taking down Edmonton, but Vegas is a different beast. They're a much more organized and structured, solid team at both ends of the ice. Uh, and I think they're going to go to the Stanley Cup final, in my opinion. I, nothing has changed my opinion of that so far in the playoffs. So I have Vegas winning the series in five. What do you got? I like Vegas in five as well. I think, yeah, Chicago will give them a decent fight, but I think Vegas rolls. All right. So now Colorado and Arizona, a matchup that I never expected to see. The Avs, a big-time contender against the team with no GM uh, <laughs> in the Arizona Coyotes. Who do you give the – edge offensively too. I, I know I'm trying to ask that with a straight face, but I'll try it again. Who do you give the edge offensively to in this series? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's Colorado. I mean, Nathan McKinnon, uh, he leads a, a very nice attack with Mika Rantanen and Gabriel Landeskog. And then you have other weapons as you go down the lineup as well. This is a team that can put the puck in the net. Not only do you have all those great forwards, but you also have Kale McCarr in defense uh, who can help in that regard as well. So, you know, I mean, Arizona, they've got Phil Kessel, they've got Taylor Hall, they, they do have weapons, but they don't have that dominating number one center that the Avs do in Nathan McKinnon. And I think that's going to be a real big matchup problem for them. So, I, yeah, I got to go with Colorado. Agreed. And what makes Colorado even more terrifying is that they're diversifying now, right? So Jared Bednar's experimenting, putting Landis Cog on the second line with Nazem Kadri and Valerie Nichushkin, which is fantastic second line I love that trio and then McKinnon and Ranton are driving their own line yikes that is terrifying uh so I think Colorado in a way is getting even more dangerous if they keep their best players kind of spread out in the lineup Arizona I think you got to give them credit they had 11 different guys score in the four games and a lot of their best forwards they they did show up you know Phil Kessel had a big goal in the series and you know Clayton Keller scored and Taylor Hall and everybody had their moment uh, among the players who are supposed to be the go-to guys for Arizona. A lot of teams can't say that. So good on them, but, you know, they can't hold the candle to what Colorado brings. The Avalanche are just extremely dynamic offensively. So we agreed. There's an edge Colorado there. Uh, defensively, uh, this is one where I've, I've knocked on the Coyotes before, and I'm going to do it again. I think they're overrated. Their defense is more about their goaltending, making them look good. Uh, they allowed the most shots of any team in the first round out of 24 teams. They allowed 41 shots per 60 minutes at five on five. They got peppered and it was just Darcy Kemper being like, I got this guys. So I'm not impressed. Um, but they do have a very good penalty kill. And again, Colorado, I think is they're fine. They're not a standout either way defensively in terms of positive or negative. They're better. I think in the regular season at limiting high danger chances than Arizona. So I'll say it's close to, even because I don't consider Colorado a lockdown group unless you count Nishushkin. 
but I, I, I might lean slightly to Colorado. What do you think? Yeah, I'll give it to Colorado. I just think that, you know, they have the dynamic elements on the blue line, but they also have guys that, you know, bring size. I think they, they, they have enough different looks that when you add in the two way forwards that they have, you know, you mentioned Nichushkin, you know, Kadri. Um, I, I think that's a team that can give you a lot of problems. Not that they, not that they need to lock it down. Um, but I, I think they at least have that, you know, that potential in them to be defensively better than Arizona. Good. Uh, goaltending. Is it Kemper series? Is he the real deal now? Or do you think that the Grubauer, Frank, who's Megazord of goaltending can match up well? No, I like Arizona here. I think Kemper has been very good all season. You know, if he hadn't been injured, we might've been talking about him as a Vesna candidate. Um, he has done nothing to prove that wrong. And if Arizona is going to have success, it, it's going to come from the back end out. And I think that, you know, Colorado, they have good goaltending, but I think Kemper can be a big difference maker. And that's why I give Arizona the advantage there. Yeah, I'm with you. And I did a study on this uh, several years ago. It was during, the, I think it was when it was John Gibson and Frederick Anderson kind of jockeying for starts during the playoffs in Anaheim. And, and uh, the research indicated there's a really strong correlation between winning the cup and having one goalie who you rely on, who wins all 16 games and is just the guy and he's not looking, looking over his shoulder. And Phil Gubauer was fine in the round robin, but Pavel Francouz got a shutout. And Frank Cruz was really good, leaving Grubauer going into the shutdown uh, when Grubauer was hurt. And to me, it's great. You know, you have good goaltending depth, but it also creates a situation where you're, there's no guy that, that feels confident being the starter in a way. So if you're Grubauer and, you know, you give up two quick goals in the first 10 minutes of game one, you're looking over your shoulder probably right away being like, oh, am I going to get pulled now? That's in the back of your head. And I think mentally it can sometimes take a toll. Whereas Arizona, Kemper's their guy, period. They know He's earned it and he can carry them. And if he has a bad period, it's not going to get him knocked out of the series. And I think that's a mental edge. So I, I agree. I give the goalie edge to Arizona. Um, what about intangibles? Do you see anything in this series that could swing the series one way or another for either team? Well, this is another sort of weird matchup like Vegas, Chicago, where it's like, I, there's not a lot of animosity between Colorado and Arizona. I guess they can argue about who's the best, like, Western state uh, <laughs> between the two of them. But I mean, the abs, I think they're getting into their window now. I think it, if there isn't a tangible, it's that Colorado is looking at a Stanley cup right now um, with Arizona. I think the intangible, uh, and I think you mentioned this earlier is, I mean, they're playing with house money. Um, they probably would not have made the playoffs in a regular 82 game campaign, but they knocked off a listless Nashville team. And now I, I'm sure the Coyotes are saying to themselves, why not us? We've got the elements. We've already pulled one upset. Let's do another. I mean, we got nothing to lose here. Let's just go out and have fun, boys. Mm -hmm. So um, in terms of intangibles, I guess I'll give a slight edge to Arizona because that's a more fun narrative. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think the intangible for me is just the effect of, I, I've sort of touched on it already, but the second line for Colorado, if you have Landis Cog playing down in the lineup with Kadri and Nachushkin, it just changes the dynamic. And it just, to me, makes Colorado so well-rounded because they're not just winning with finesse. They have another line that <clears throat> among the top six forwards who they can just win. They can beat you in different ways. They can beat you with a heavy game, a gritty game with Kadri and just a heavy game from Landis Cog 
a responsible, smart game from Nishushkin. So I just, I just think it makes Colorado so much more versatile that you're not just worrying about stopping them because they're going to score on you. They're, they also can kind of bludgeon you on the forecheck with that, that uh, second trio. Uh, in terms of the series pick, <clears throat> sorry, I'm losing my voice here, but um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm such a wuss. I never call sweeps. I'm calling a sweep. I just think that uh, Kemper can only do so much, and maybe his his stolen game is going to be, you know, the Avalanche went 2-1 in overtime, but I just think the talent discrepancy is massive. So I'm going to say Avalanche in four. Mm, I'm going to go Colorado in five. I think, you know, if you can get to this point in the playoffs, you can, you can win at least one game. And I, I think Kemper would probably be a big difference maker there. But, I mean, the Arizona power play could get hot one game and, and pull things off. They do have some dynamic elements. So I'll say Colorado in five. All right. Uh, now we got Dallas and Calgary. Uh, and I got to admit, I didn't think the Flames were going to be here, but the Jets, you know, they lose two of their most important players. And Connor Hellebuck gets out goaltended by Cam Talbot. Here we are, the Flames advance to the next round. Uh, who do you give the advantage to offensively between Dallas and Calgary? Offensively, I'm going to go with Calgary uh, because offense has been a problem for Dallas all year long, even though they have some pretty big guns uh, in Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn. But those guys, they, they just haven't woken up yet. I think they will. So I'll say that I think they will wake up. I feel like the round robin was a good time for them to get sort of the sluggish hockey out of their system. Um, but I look at Calgary and whether it's Kachuk or Goudreau or Lindholm, Monahan, those guys, they've already gotten into the mix. And uh, again, this is, uh, you know, a round robin team versus a team that had to win a series. I feel like Calgary's gotten their offense, you know, off to a nice start and they have the weapons to be successful. So I'll give Calgary the edge there. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Um, and I think, you know, even though Calgary, sure, they got a little bit of luck with the Jets injuries, they showed some really encouraging signs in that series. And the most important of which was Sean Monaghan and Johnny Gaudreau waking up and doing something in elimination or playoff games, I guess you can call them. I call them playoff games uh, after just really no showing, especially Gaudreau in the last couple of postseasons. So if that line is suddenly woken up and you've got that second line, that's been really good with Kachuk and Michael Backlund, Backlund and Andrew Mangiapane. Mangiapane, Mangi I never say his name out loud. Yeah, you ever really? get a guy where you just don't speak his name very often? Manjapani. Uh, but that line was really good uh, against the Jets. Whereas Dallas, uh, in the round robin, so 24 teams in the total field, they're 21st in shots generated uh, per 60 minutes at 5-on-5. Five five. And the only guys that scored were you got Joe Pavelski scored a couple goals. You had Corey Perry score. You had Jamie Alexiak score. And I'm pretty sure that's it. For goals for Dallas in the round robin, if I, I got to double check that, but I'm pretty sure that's what I saw when I was doing a bit of homework. Um, and I just, I think a big problem for Dallas is that they, they're still betting big on their stars, but I just don't think old Jamie Ben is coming back. I think that, you know, just the way he plays a heavy game, he's had a lot of, uh, he's had multiple, I think surgery at one point on both his hips a few years back. And I just think a big guy like that who plays a power forward game, sometimes they just don't age as well. And I think we're not going to see that dominant version of Ben uh, maybe ever again. And also Tyler Sagan, we know he missed a game and he's another one of those stars that we don't know hundred percent how healthy he's going to be if he's in the lineup for game one. So I think it's a pretty distinct edge for Calgary. And I think Calgary has got a lot of guys that can play different ways. Sam Bennett is, you know, redefining himself. He's relative to his draft status in 2014. He's considered a bust, but he's kind of using the grit element of his game to be a net crasher. And I think that, that 
that brings something to the Flames in the depth form group. Uh, so I, I like Calgary as well. What about defense? This is a weird one where, you know, Dallas has got the defensive rep, the great defensemen, but it doesn't always, the rep doesn't always match the numbers. So do you agree that Dallas is going to have the edge? Yeah, I'm going to go Dallas with the edge on that. I don't think it's a distinct edge because I think Calgary has some very good defensemen who are playing pretty well these days, you know, TJ Brody in particular. Um, but you look at Dallas and this is their bread and butter right now. Um, and again, I, I've said this before, it's all about being a five-man unit. And, you know, I did a story for the magazine about Tyler Sagan recently. And, you know, Coach Rick Bonus was saying, you know, like, it doesn't work if you have three guys or four guys defending. It's got to be five. And Tyler Sagan is a guy who's really bought into that idea. And that helps a defense that is already good on its own. You know, Essa Lindell, I think, is probably pretty underrated, you know, People know about John Klingberg, obviously, but, you know, the Stars defense, um, it's, it's really good. And, you know, we haven't even talked about Miro Heiskanen yet, one of the best young defensemen in the game right now. So you toss all those guys together, and then you have the buy-in from the forwards. And I just think that even though Calgary is a, a decent defensive team, and, you know, they still need Mark Giordano to sort of get on track in this postseason. Um, so you know, they, they have sort of a, a decent ceiling. Uh, I would give the advantage to Dallas here. It's weird because I, I wanted to give the advantage to Dallas and I do think their defense core of course is better. And, you know, I'm glad you touched on Lindell. I think he's one of the most underrated players out there. And especially when it comes to uh, just being a penalty kill, penalty kill ace. Uh, but Dallas got blitzed in the round Robin. They just, the, in terms of the, the shot data, they just got peppered, which is strange. Like I don't, it's an example where I, I'm a little skeptical because they weren't, it's not like that was their identity during the regular season. So I'm going to try to give them a mulligan, which is why I'm going to call the matchup even on defense. I think Calgary's forwards I like better on the defensive side of the puck, especially because of that back one line, which was really strong against, against the Jets. So I'm going to say that's even. Uh, Goaltending is another weird one because, you know, it should be Ben Bishop. Uh, he's been one of the best goalies in the league for, since he became a Dallas star, but Cam Talbot was so good. In against the Jets and he outdueled Connor Hellebuck in round one. So who do you give the edge to? I'm still going to give the edge to Ben Bishop because I think he has the higher ceiling. And uh, again, round robin, we don't know yet what the impact of the round robin will be on those teams. Where was everybody going 100%? It's really hard to say. Were teams using the round robin to figure out what they needed to get better at? I think that might be a huge advantage for some squads. And I think Dallas could be one of those teams where there was nothing at stake, but this is a team that is built for now. You know, we talk about guys like Pavelski and Perry. Um, this is the time for them. So I, I'm not, I'm not overly concerned about Ben Bishop. You know, we know how good he can be. And I think, uh, you know, it's great to see what Cam Dalbert did for the flames. But, you know, if you were going to pick one of those goaltenders for a seven game series, in most cases, you would go with Ben Bishop. Mm -hmm. I, I'm going to call it even just, I'm trying to, to walk the line between, you know, understanding the hot hand in this bizarre situation, but also, you know, acknowledging the guy who has the much better track record. Uh, but Bishop, his health is a little bit cloudy and we think he's going to be ready for game one, my understanding, but how healthy is he going to be? Is he rushing back? He's not necessarily going to be peak Ben Bishop. And for a big guy like that, you know, you, he's someone who his health is always the question because, you know, just, I guess, just 
the blood pumping such a big body. It's always been a bit of a problem on and off for Bishop uh, throughout his career. So I'm going to say it's even if I knew for sure that Bishop was 100%, then I'd say, okay, that's, a, that's an edge, but I'm going to call it uh, even. So what about intangibles? I'm, I'm, one I was looking at uh, was the Matthew Kachuk factor. And, and mm. I'm wondering if the stars have the personnel to keep him honest. And, you know, you do have Jamie Alexiak, who's a big, tough guy. But I think overall, uh, I, I don't know if there's a true intimidator uh, that's going to always be on the ice shadowing Kachuk. It's going to keep him from taking liberties. So I think, you know, they're going to use Kachuk and I think Sam Bennett and Milan Lucic to soften up those high-skilled Dallas defensemen. And I think that might be a determining factor in the series. That's my intangible. What do you think? I like that a lot. And um, maybe this is where Jamie Benn can make some more contributions. <clears throat> Jamie Benn's a tough guy. We've seen him drop the gloves with some pretty big names in the past. Um, so maybe that's where Jamie Benn kind of earns his stripes because he's not contributing to the offense as much as he used to. Um, so I, I like your intangible, and I guess I'm, I'm just kind of uh, adding to it. But, uh, yeah, I definitely think Calgary's ability to get under the other team's skin is a great one. All righty. So give me a, a pick. I think this is a really close series. I, I keep wavering on this one, but who do you got? I'm going to say Dallas in six. I feel I, – I, I just – I have a feeling about Dallas. I think they can – even though they were around Robin team, I kind of feel they're a dark horse. I think if they can put it all together, they know they can defend. And that offense, they just, they just need to rediscover it because it, it is there. Okay. I, I'm going to say the Flames in seven. I just think – even though overall I feel like Dallas is a better team, I just think Calgary is kind of a weird matchup for them where they, they found their offensive game and they're not a bad defensive team either. Right now they're getting good goaltending, so they're kind of neutralizing – what would be Dallas's strengths. And, and I'm just, I just don't have confidence in Dallas's offense right now. I think they're pretty anemic and it was them and Columbus were the lowest scoring teams uh, among playoff qualifiers, I believe. So flames going to be close series, uh, but I'm going to say flames in seven. So one more series in the West, uh, we have the defending champs, the St. Louis blues taking on the high flying Vancouver Canucks. Speaking of high flying, that's probably the edge for Vancouver in the series. Is that what you'd say that the Canucks have the offensive edge? Yeah, when you look at the weapons they have, from Leos Pedersen to Brock Besser, who's already hot, um, and then you know even Quinn Hughes on the back end, uh, and we'll talk about more on the defensive end with with Quinn Hughes. But I mean, these Canucks can score and they make it look fun. So I think even though St. Louis has those those you know that great depth up front, and they have guys that they know they can depend on for offense pretty consistently. Um, I, I think you got to give the advantage to Vancouver. Yeah, I'm with you. Both teams, good power plays during the year. And, you know, the Blues do have Vladimir Tarasenko back. Uh, but it's still maybe taking a while for him to get up, get up to speed because he's, he's been gone for so much of the year, right? And I don't know how many months if you factor in when, his, when he first shot, suffered his, his soldier, shoulder injury. Um, and the Canucks, I think it was really encouraging against the Wild, who were pound for pound the best defensive team in the league in terms of limiting shots and chance quality the fact that their top line was able to break through and, and kind of take over I think in the second half of that series with JT Miller, Elias Pettersson and, and Brock Besser I think votes very well because it, I know it doesn't feel like it you know people don't give I don't think people give Minnesota as much credit as a team like St. Louis gets for being good defensively but the Wild are really good defensively so I think that if Vancouver could solve them I think they can solve the Blues. And, of course, Quinn Hughes, we know, is just a difference maker. He's one of the most dynamic players in the game already. And he just can skate the puck out of trouble. He can create. He's almost like 
I don't know. He's like, he's like, he's, he's like Mitch Marner on defense. It's like the way he can kind of rag the puck to me and, and kind of create for other people around him. Uh, so I, I really like that edge for Vancouver in the series. What about defense? Is it as strong the other way? I think it is, but what do you think? Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, St. Louis made their bones at this great heavy two-way team. And, you know, you have Ryan O'Reilly, who's always uh, a Selkie favorite, or, or at least in the mix there. And then you have Alex Petrangelo, who, again, like a player who probably at this point should have won a Norris. But, I mean, I'm sure St. Louis will be happy just to have him as the, an elite defender. And you have a team that, that knows how to play structured hockey, you know, they, they know how to beat you and they know how to defend their goaltender and they have the depth. So with Vancouver, I think, you know, Quinn Hughes looks even better now than he did in the regular season. I, somehow he made a huge jump during the break. And I, I think, you know, you have to give him credit for obviously doing a lot of work under adverse circumstances, but it's paying off right away. And, you know, I don't think Vancouver is uh, terrible defensively, but they certainly don't have the consistency and the depth that St. Louis does. Yeah, I'm with you. I give the edge to the Blues. I think it's actually a pretty strong edge. I think Vancouver uh, was one of the weaker teams in the league in terms of just allowing chances during the regular season. Um, And I just think the Blues are just – they got a, a heavy and kind of multifaceted attack. They got some forwards like Sammy Blake, guys like that that can really put a hurt on you uh, on the forecheck. Uh, and I, I don't know if the Canucks decor is structured to withstand that right now. So even a guy like Chris Tanev, you know, it's not like he's a bruiser. He's, he's defensively stout, but he's not a bruiser. So mm-hmm. I, I worried that that's going to be the game plan. If you're a Vancouver fan, I'd be worried that you're, that's going to be open season on your, on your D, especially, and I'll get to this later, but when certain tough customers are, are not in the lineup to police things for Vancouver anymore, um, I just think, I think the Canucks defensively could be overwhelmed, whereas the Blues, you know, we know their track record. They've, they've got big, strong defensemen in Pietrangelo, Colton Pareko, and they've got responsible forwards, two-way guys like Robert Thomas. Um, so I, I'm with it. Of course, Ryan O'Reilly. We haven't even mentioned Ryan O'Reilly. Uh, one of the top, you know, probably two or three defensive forwards in the game now, reigning Selkie Trophy winner. So, you know, Bo, Bo, I think Bo Horvat is almost like Ryan O'Reilly is what Bo Horvat can aspire to be career-wise. Uh, I think I see a lot of similarities in their game, and maybe it's like Bo Horvat is Ryan O'Reilly around a couple of years. Like that, they remind me of each other a lot. Uh, but overall, uh, you know, I think the Blues have a lot more of those types of players. So I give the edge to St. Louis for sure. Um, goaltending is a weird one. It's uh, I'm scratching my head right now for the goaltending matchup because Jacob Markstrom had a great year, uh, 926 save percentage against Minnesota. Jordan Bennington, like I'm literally, if you're watching, I'm literally scratching my head because he was, you know, fantastic last year, great rookie season, Stanley Cup winner, good for a good chunk of the season, but the wheels kind of fell off later in the year, if I remember correctly, and was not great in the round robin but at the same time the blues in general they got outshot 38 23 roughly per game so uh, something was off i don't know whether the blues just weren't putting their foot on the gas so i'm i want to give bennington the benefit of the doubt and at least call this even uh, but what do you think ryan yeah i'm gonna call it even uh for for different reasons i think bennington has already proven that he can be that stanley cup goaltender because he obviously help the Blues win a title. So I I think he has the ability to turn it on. 
Um, whereas with Markstrom, he might not have the same track record, but he has been fantastic this season. So, you know, Markstrom has that sort of, I'll call it momentum based on this 2019-20 campaign. And, and Bennington has the ceiling that he's been there, done that before. So I think it's kind of even in that regard. Okay. Uh, and lastly, what about the intangibles? Do you see a storyline in this series that's important? Well, I think you look at the Blues experience. Um, like I just said with Bennington, they've done this very recently with most of these players. Um, and even though this is an odd season, this is a dressing room that you don't have any questions about. You know they have the leadership. You know they have the talent. You know they have the discipline. Uh, with Vancouver, this is a team that is on its way up. They're probably a little bit ahead of schedule, um, which is why you know they were adding at the deadline, uh, obviously going for Tyler Toffoli and a, you know, a couple of other guys. Um, I think this will be a great learning experience for the Canucks, win or lose. I think they're going to look at St. Louis and say, okay, well, this is the type of team we want to be facing, but not in the first round. We want to be facing them in the third round. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think the intangibles to me, the, the big one is just the health of Vancouver's forwards. So we already know that Michael Furland is knocked out of the series and his career, I think, could be in jeopardy um, with the concussion problems he's had. Tyler Toffoli, it doesn't sound like he's going to be ready for the start of the series. So you see, I think there's a depth problem now suddenly where the, where the Canucks are looking really top heavy and it didn't really hurt them against Minnesota because the wild just don't have enough finishers that can answer back offensively, but the blues are just a deeper team that I think is better equipped to fire back. So I think that those injuries, and, and especially if you look at a guy like Furland, who, you know, that's what I was touching on before. He's someone who can play that heavy feisty game. If the, if the blues are getting, you know, feisty back, but I, losing him, I, I think, removes an intimidation factor from the forward group. So I just think the lack of depth right now could be a determining factor. And it's kind of a transition to who I'm going to pick to win the series. Uh, Vancouver, they're, they're definitely a fun team to watch. They're really entertaining and it's been fun to see them kind of progress in the rebuild. And I do think they're going to put a scare in St. Louis because they have some of the most talented players overall in the series. Uh, but I think the Blues just overall experience factor, two-way play. I still get, give, give them the edge. So I'm going to say Blues in six. Yeah, I, I like Blues in six. I think that's the um, that's the most logical outcome of this series. And I, I think I think Vancouver could pull off an upset, but um, you know, if I'm going to be sort of conservative about uh, conservative about things, St. Louis is not the type of team that gets rattled. Uh, I, so I think they take care of business. All righty. So that will conclude the Western Conference edition of this podcast for sort of round one of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, we also did the East. If you want to find that one, it'll be in your feed as well. Hope you enjoy these predictions and we'll see what happens.